0: So much for joining me today for episode 11 of the Adventure Games Podcast. And in this episode, I am joined by Nathan Hamley of Sick Chicken Studios as we discuss everything from how he came up with the name Sick Chicken Studios and we take a deep dive into his new game, Guard Duty. But first, I just wanted to discuss some of the latest adventuring news that has been happening in the last week. And first, I want to talk about an article which is covered now. So, thank you to Livu Bor for sharing this article. Uh, it's on the NextWeb.com, and it talks about the so-called Dark Age of Adventure Games, which was from around the year 2000 to 2007, eight-ish. And so, at the time, many people proclaimed the adventure genre as dead. And certainly there weren't as many adventure games released in that period as there are now, and certainly there weren't as many really good adventure games released back then. But there are still a few really good games that were released then, I it talks in this article about some of the games that were released back then that were very good, according to the author Rachel Kasser. Uh, she talks about games such as Siberia and Still Life, and she also... Talks about a game called Keepsake, which I haven't played, and of course Frogwares games, The Sherlock Holmes and The uh, Secret of the Silver Earring. And she also mentions Nancy Drew as well, talks a little bit about those games. Now, I have played Siberia and, of course, Still Life as well. And while I did have some issues with Siberia, I still really, really liked it. I loved uh, the story, the graphics are beautiful. And I really loved how we go on both a metaphorical and a physical journey with the game's protagonist, Kate Walker. And I would really recommend people check that out on Steam now. It shouldn't be too expensive. You could get Siberian 1 and 2 for the complete story. And also Still Life, I also remember really enjoying it. Even though I did have some issues with the ending, but I still really liked the game. It's really cinematic, really, really excellent in that regard. And again, a really good female protagonist, Victoria McPherson. And which we st- still to this day we don't have enough good uh, female protagonists in adventure games, in my opinion. And um, but those two games certainly do. And uh, yeah, so that article will be worth checking out for games that you may or may not have heard of, or you may want to check out. And also some games that have been released now uh, start with another blast from the past, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Uh, the, this was a series of games that was originally released on the Nintendo DS a few, well, a number of years ago. On the 9th of April, it was released. The first three games in the Ace Attorney trilogy were released for PC. So in this game you play as Phoenix Wright. You play as a defense attorney and you have to investigate uh, murders and play in court as well where you have to defend your client and prove that he or she did not commit the crime or the murder. Now, it is exaggerated. It's not exactly very realistic, but it is a huge amount of fun. And I really loved playing these games on Nintendo DS, so I would highly recommend people check them out. And... Next, another game that's just been released is The Mystery of Woolly Mountain. Now, this is a game that I've been keeping a close eye on, and it is one of the few comedy adventure games that are still being released. A lot of them seem to be serious, but this seems to be going back to the old days adventure game where we had some, you know, wacky characters and some funny dialogue and basically a comedy adventure. Uh, So, in this game... You need to join a renegade crew of time-travelling audio scientists on a hilarious and fantastical quest, and a malevolent witch has captured a group of children, and it's up to you to save them from the mysterious island of Woolly Mountain. The developer says that this game has a rich and attractive set of environments, it's filled with head-scratching puzzles, and you need to unravel a salacious storyline, meet a cornucopia of quirky characters, and boogie on down to an awesome original soundtrack. Now I have played the demo, and overall I really liked that The graphics look beautiful. The the storyline I found to be interesting, and the puzzles are definitely challenging. And uh, they don't seem to be illogical, but I definitely need to, to think on how to resolve them. So if this see if you're interested in this, you can check this out on Steam. This Is 25% off from now until 17th of April, so from now until next week. And yeah, it looks to be very interesting. That game, again, is A Mystery of Woolly Mountain. And it is developed by Lightfoot Brothers. And just two more games I want to talk about then very briefly. The first game, second last game now, is The Cinema Rosa. And so this is described as a classic adventure game set in a haunted cinema, and it's inspired by The Stanley Parable, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, and Dear Esther. So the developer said that this is a story-driven game set in an abandoned cinema. You explore a unique art deco cinema filled with dark mysteries, puzzles, and ghosts, and you uncover the history of two lovers who bought the cinema as a passion project before things went downhill. So you follow the story into relationship as it unfolds alongside the story of the cinema's decline, the two stories working as parallel narratives. Now, to say that this is, this also features classic references to old cinema and Hollywood, and the music is inspired by the Bioshock games. So that is out now on Steam as well, and it's by Atreu Games uh, Ltd. And again, there is a 10% discount on this game until the 15th of April. And the last game I want to talk about before we get to the interview is a game called Interpoint by Three Dots. This is a first-person sci-fi mystery with elements of psychological horror. A secret organisation made the discovery of parallel worlds. You play as Harry G, a scientist. took part in a project that was supposed to benefit humanity but things went wrong and now you are stuck far away from home so you explore an underground science complex and you, you go through parallel worlds there are many different solutions according to the developers and developers also say that This game features a twisted story with several levels of depth, conspiracy, and various endings. Now, the interesting thing about this game is that it features a photon gun. Now, this device is a gun, and it's able to absorb energy from surrounding objects and transform it into something else. So, from the trailers, it looks like it plays similar to the game's Portal, which released a number of years ago. And, of course, Portal... Uh, well, one and two were two of the best reviewed games of recent years. So, if this game is anything like that, it's uh, it's certainly be very interesting. Now, the it is available on Steam early access from the fifteenth of April, and the full release they're aiming for spring twenty nineteen. So that is it for the news, so now I will take you to my interview with Nathan Hamley where we discuss everything from how he came up with the name Sick Chicken Studio and we take a deep dive into his game, Guard Duty, without spoilers. And this game is one of the games that I'm most looking forward to this year and I was delighted to be able to speak to the developer about it and find out as much as I could. About it. It's a fascinating setting. And uh, yeah, so here is, first of all, a trailer of the game and then the interview. So please enjoy. It all started with a book, an ancient tome my bloodline has kept secret generation through generation. said that those who gaze upon the
1: passages of this book will soon become sick with corruption. Nothing can be done. Fate has chosen. I have seen the future as I gazed upon the looking glass. It all burns. Hold on! Run me through that sacrifice stuff one more time. Ugh, again? Well, I've still got half a pint left.
0: So today I am joined by Nathan Hamley of Sick Chicken Studios and developer of Guard Duty. How Mm. are you, Nathan?
1: I'm very well, thanks. Um, Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: No worries. Thank you very much for, for joining me. I was... I was wanting to, to talk to you since I first heard about the game. I'm really, really curious about it. I look forward to hearing more about it. But first I wanted to ask, would you would you mind introducing yourself and saying what your favorite adventure games are?
1: Yeah, sure. Um yep, I'm Nathan. Hello everybody. I'm currently working on Guard Duty with a good friend of mine, Andy. I I've been making adventure games. I've been making Guard Duty for sort of four years now. Um I have a little bit of a history with um, dabbling with Adventure Game Studio and um, making various adventure game projects. Some of them got finished. Some of them didn't get finished. My, my favorite adventure games. Hmm, it's tough. Um,
0: that seems to be the most difficult question that other developers yeah. say. That, <laughs> they say that there's so many. But if there's any you know, any one or two or three that particular... Um,
1: I mean... I, I mean, I, I know it's obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll i have to say Monkey Island. I really enjoy Monkey Island. I, I did a poll on Twitter a while back, like, which is better, Monkey Island 1 or Monkey Island 2? Um, and the votes, yeah, the votes were fairly split down the middle. Uh, I think Monkey Island 2 won in the end, but um, my personal preference is probably the first one. Also, a big fan of the Discworld Adventure games, which um, some people might not agree with my opinion on them. I really enjoy them. They've got... Very difficult puzzles, which aren't (laughs) very logical. Um, That's not the reason why I like them. But I just, I love the humour and um, the world building in them. And also, yeah, always been a fan of the Broken Sword series. Um, Even, like, I don't mind playing the 3D ones either. They're all right. But yeah, definitely the the first two. And the latest addition to the um, series. But yeah, um, probably most of the adventure games that other people like, uh, Beneath Still Sky... Um, I'm a big fan of Blazing Dragons, which was a PlayStation One and I think uh, Sega Saturn adventure game based on a TV series.
0: I don't think I've heard of that actually, Blazing Dragons.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's not that well known at all, but it's it's got the most amazing artwork in it, really nice animations, and it's very similar in tone to Guard Duty, except all the characters are dragons mostly. But yeah, it's good stuff. It's probably some of my favourites there.
0: That sounds interesting, and that's for available for PlayStation One. You mentioned.
1: Yeah, I've um, I've got the CD copy, but I'd imagine you probably it's best off just playing it on an emulator now if you can find the ROM somewhere. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I still have my PlayStation One at home somewhere up in the attic. So. Awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. No. All of those games. I mean, my myself. Um, I I don't even know. Which I prefer, Monkey Island one or two. Uh, sometimes I, I, you know, it's like the first one, sometimes the second one, and sometimes even the third one, The Curse of Monkey Island. I yep. was the first game that I played uh, before. Before and then, I played Monkey Island one and two, and again, you mentioned, you know, Be- uh, Beneath the Steel Sky, Beyond the, the Oculus <laughs> sequel, and yep. uh, Broken Sword was, as I've mentioned several times before, was the very first adventure game I played. And so it still has a special place in, in my heart. So, no, they're all pretty good games, and I think most people would agree with you on those. Um, are there any recent adventure games that you've played that you particularly enjoyed? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I really liked Lamplight City by mm-hmm. Um or Francisco Gonzalez, should I say. Also really enjoyed Unavowed by Dave Gilbert, which it seems like a lot of people enjoyed that game, but a really good game. Let me think... Um, I've been playing my way through a lot of the cloak and dagger games um, really enjoyed football games it's a nice short little moody David Lynch style game um, that was really good and we think of other modern adventure games I suppose um I mean I played the Walking Dead telltale games mm. like I'm sure a lot of people did I haven't played the uh, latest season of that they're good I enjoyed life is strange and the prequel sort of
0: series that, that was good fun um. But yeah, yeah, it's, that's a few. Okay, another there are a few. I, again, I've spoken to both Francisco and Dave Gilbert and I really enjoyed those. I think Lamplight City Unavowed would probably be the two, again, modern games that people would mention as well. And I'm currently replaying the Walking Dead see- series because it's, they've just finished the, the season, the last, the final season. So yeah. now what I'm doing is every week, kind of like an episode I'm doing every Sunday, I just play an episode and uh, in the meantime, I'll try and play other adventure games and uh, see if I can manage that. But again, I think good uh, good choices. So, okay, we can start with your with your work then. So wh- when did you know that you wanted to make adventure games? When did you start? So when did you think, no, I really want to do this, try and make a career out of this or to make a game myself?
1: Um Quite a while ago, I sort of first started playing around with Adventure Game Studio um, when I was sort of 14, 15. Honestly, as a young kid, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it was just kind of messing about with it, doing a lot of artwork as well. And yeah, sort of being involved in the forums over there was quite inspiring. And yeah, it's sort of, I've done bits and pieces of artwork for Adventure Games and little, I tried to start projects. I, I must say, most of the projects I started up until Guard Duty, I didn't finish because that is the way you sort of along the way somewhere you learn about project management and you learn about actually finishing things um I think it took me a bit longer than most people to get my head around that um I used to do I did like film production at university and like learned a lot about writing scripts and sort of direction of short films because we had to make short films for it um and that kind of scratched the itch a bit like but then eventually I just after I'd worked in video for a little while i kind of came out of it and i thought i really want to make an adventure game like i'd already, always aspired to when i was younger
0: yeah so you mentioned that you started at an early age and then with the film production and ha- have you considered making an fmv adventure game since you mentioned you were <laughs> doing uh, film production and scripts so would you like to maybe combine the filmmaking and uh, making an adventure game at some point
1: yeah I, i've considered it um I've seen like some of the more recent ones, like uh, I think it's her story that was the yes. kind of interview-based one. I think there's a lot of potential there. It's sort of untapped potential as well, because a lot of the FMV games seem to be mostly just shot like a film and edited like a film, and then you kind of it will pop up with a choice, and you get different video clips based on your choice, um, like um, Bandersnatch, the Black right yeah. one. But yeah, I I've, I've considered it. I think. I kind of enjoy drawing and creating artwork a little bit too much to do that. I mean, as an option. there. I might may, maybe make a short game like that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into orchestrating a film shoot and sorting out actors. There's a lot of production based roles that are involved. And I'd imagine, based on my experience with Guard Duty, the amount of times I went back and decided to change something that, that would become an absolute nightmare if you're working with real actors because you'd have to reschedule shoots and make sure you've got the same lighting again. And um, it could, <laughs> you'd need to do a lot of pre production and a lot of planning. Um, so, potentially, maybe later down the line, I'll, I'll approach that. But I think, yeah, should definitely um, hone in my skills a little bit more. I like, think, I mean, with guard duty, the design document changed so much through production that, um, yeah, I'm only now sort of getting an idea of everything that's involved in making a game. Um, So, yeah, it's something I'd maybe like to play around with, but maybe a short game, like a jam game or something, would be quite fun to do an FMV one.
0: Sure, yeah. So I'm guessing with FMV game, it's not just simply a question of getting a camera, filming something, and then just making it into an adventure game. There's a lot more that goes into it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've always always liked the idea of um, now that... It's a lot easier to do sort of post-production work on video, like green screening actors and stuff. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I always like the idea of toying with like filming an actor on a green screen and then matching the lighting and having sort of uh, pre-rendered backdrops as video. So you'd like go out and film essentially the background plate for a video and then you'd actually have a traditional point and click with live action actors and backgrounds but uh, using sort of modern techniques because um, now we've got sort of HD cameras available to us we've got quite cheap like stabilizers, gimbals, this sort of thing I think mean, you could really, you could create something awesome it's just, it would be such a headache to do that I'm kind of terrified by the concept But oh,
0: well, you never know, maybe after this game you never know but um, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe down the line and uh, now we'll talk about uh, the studio. So um, which which came first, the sick chicken or the game Guard Duty? <laughs> <laughs> um, my my Internet
1: handle way back when used to be chicken related. It was oversized chicken. Um, oversized chicken. OK. And yeah. It it was a name I picked when I was really young. I was um, sat at the computer trying to think of a name for the AGS forums. And there was a massive painting of a chicken on the wall when I was a kid. And it was a really fat chicken. So I I went for oversized chicken. I think fat chicken was taken. Really? (laughs) Went for the latter.
0: (laughs) Or tasty chicken.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could have gone for tasty chicken. I think that would have have made a cool logo. Um, Yeah, and then somewhere recently I thought... 'Cause I teaming up with Andy, the guy who programs Guard Duty, I didn't want to use the same handle that I'd used for a, a long time on the internet. And Sick Chicken kind of had a cool ring to it. But I didn't really think of the what it brings to mind when you say sick chicken. So like I thought of the name, kind of used the name for a bunch of stuff and drew this crude logo of a chicken with a thermometer in its mouth. And then ever since I've kind of I don't know if I would say I've regretted the name, but it's, yeah, it, it causes a lot of issues when trying to think of logos because you don't want to just have a logo that's like a dead chicken or a dying <laughs> chicken. So I went with a skateboarding chicken for a while. Like, it, the chicken was doing a kickflip. It was really rad and sick, yo. And now I've just, yeah, I've just got an egg with a swirly hypnotic thing around it because, like, I figured a sick chicken could have, like, some kind of weird powers. I don't know. It's a it's a name, um, and I'm kind of stuck with it now because I've used it everywhere. So I ju- I'm just gonna have to roll with it.
0: <laughs> oh, that, that's uh, that sounds interesting. And also with the uh, with the way that sick is used now, it doesn't mean ill, but it could be like cool. So that with skateboard, would also <laughs> yeah, like, like, this, yeah. This chicken is really sick. You know, it's really cool and <laughs> hip and down with the kids. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and when did you? Uh, so, so so I presume did you found the studio sick chickens? A studio when you started making the game guard duty
1: yeah pretty much, yeah. Pretty much it's, um, yeah when i i was making guard duty for about a year just messing around doing background art and i think it's about a year in that me and andy were like we need a name and i threw that in the hat and andy seemed to agree with it he didn't didn't say no so we just went with it
0: that's yeah. yeah. so, good and so then how many people are in the studio now you mentioned yourself and andy is there anybody else working with you guys on the game
1: See, this is cool because it's because I've named it Sick Chicken Studios, now it gets described as a studio, when in reality it's just me sat behind my computer in the bedroom upstairs and Andy at home. Um, there is one extra guy, um, but I guess there's technically two guys, um, this chap called Chris who's handling our Mac and Linux ports of the game. Um, and then there's a guy called Richard Stevens, who does all of our music. Um, he's based in the US. I've never met him in real life, but I've been chatting to him for a good couple of years now. And he's sort of, along the way, he's put up with me telling him to make amendments with the music and stuff. Um, and yeah, he's, he, he did the whole soundtrack. We've got about
0: 30 songs in the game. Okay. Wow, well, that sounds, sounds like a lot. And to, so then, to who who is uh, Andy? Has Andy made other adventure games by any chance? Or... Um, he's kind of he's
1: dabbled with at AGS over the years um, he he worked on a few little projects of his own he's never really released them publicly though um, he's now a web developer uh, so he works full time on that but he's just, he's just a good friend of mine I've known him since we were kids in school uh, we kind of grew up together so yeah it just came to a point where he said you know I'll help out with programming and he's done a really good job of it <laughs>
0: Cool. So the two of you like share responsibilities with the game guard duty. Then
1: yeah, he he set up a lot of the kind of core architecture or whatever you'd say, um, the core programming stuff for the game, and then he, he was kind of able to hand it over to me for a lot of the adding of backgrounds and adding animations and stuff. So I do the easy stuff. And anything that's complicated <laughs> and hard, Andy does. Uh, he does does a good job. So.
0: Now, before we talk about Duty, you mentioned you made other games. Some were released. So games that were finished, are they still released? Can we still play them somewhere? Somewhere,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> I made a game called Bitstream, which was a kind of dystopian hacking simulator where oxygen's like a rare commodity and you're hacking into this system to try and release more oxygen out to these poor people who uh, need oxygen. It was sort of it was all based around a command line prompt. It looked like an old computer terminal. And it was made for a monthly AGS game, which is like a month-long game jam. That is out there somewhere. We used to have a link to it on the website. We don't anymore. I think if you search on the Adventure Game Studio forums, you can find a download link for that.
0: Um, OK, let's, let's see if I can find a link. The interactive yeah. show notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it's yeah, I've not updated it since the competition, and it was quite a squeeze to get it out in a month. So there's probably a few bugs in there, but I think there's there's like a, a couple of let's plays of it on YouTube and stuff. Um, and yeah, I made another game called The Man That Only I Can See, which was a side-scrolling adventure game done in like a hand-drawn style. It's kind of a horror game that was super rushed to get it out in a month because the scope was too big. But um, I think there's a link to that somewhere. I'll see if I can dig out a link for you. But that one's sure. not not quite as cool. Bitstreams the the better game.
0: <laughs> okay. So again, you you learn the ropes, you know, with with these two games or with other games. I'm sure you worked on, you know, with the AJ studio, getting getting the hang of. I imagine the studio is is part of it as well. It's part of the learning curve. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Uh, it's, um, there's there's a lot involved with making a video game, and I think the the real key is just. To start off with, getting doing something small, setting yourself a deadline, for example, like a monthly game jam, and then just getting something out and getting it finished, no matter what state it's in, release it, and then move on to the next thing. That seems to be, I've heard that advice from other people, and it seems to be the best way of doing it. If you look at people like Francisco Gonzalez, he made like the whole Ben Jordan series. Um, he made a Golden Wake. He worked on Shard Light with Ben Chandler, and he's kind of honed his craft over the years, releasing all of these games and yeah uh, personally i mean i've just spent a lot of time working on guard duty over over four years now which i'm not really following my own advice but um yeah the best thing to do seems to be make short little games and release them get feedback own your craft and then yeah work on larger games
0: yeah well it sounds like you've already done it with bitstream and uh demand only i could see believe the other game you mentioned and yeah And yeah, a lot of people see, you know, Dave Gilbert as well is another perfect example that he started in AGS as well, making smaller games, and then he made the Shiva and then the Blackwell Legacy, and then uh, his games have improved over time as well, that he's now probably one of the biggest names, at least, or if not the biggest name at the moment. So then with Scar Duty, which with this game, uh, first of all, I imagine it's using AGS as well, uh, correct? It is, yep. Yeah? When did you come up with the idea for this game
1: i mean technically it's a project that i wanted to do when i was a young teenage lad so like i said 14 15 i actually um it was the name is the only thing that stayed consistent this version of guard duty we started making it sort of four and a half years ago now almost five years ago i think time slips away (laughs) um but yeah it was a game that i wanted to make for a long time Uh, and i had lots of different ideas for how the story would go and then we kind of um, decided on the final game design yeah about four and a half years ago
0: okay so you had this idea or a version of this idea for since you were a teenager correct
1: yep um there's a blog, uh, post on my blog, which I'll send you, so you can put it down in the show notes, and it shows the progression of the game over the years. So I managed to dig out some old screenshots from an old build of the game from around 2006, I believe. And then I think I revamped it three times in total. And you can kind of on that blog post, you can see the progress. The main character has always kind of stayed the same. He's always been a very short, Sort of stumpy guy, um <laughs> and yeah, you can kind of see like the artwork progress over the years.
0: That's great that you're finally beginning to at least realize the the story, realize the idea that you know you kept that at it, honed your craft, and now you're in a position to release the, this story. Would you mind then give us a brief background of the plot of this this game, Guard Duty, then? So it's
1: a game that's primarily based in a kind of high fantasy medieval setting, but we tie it together with this running sci-fi theme throughout, um, which kind of leaves the player guessing about how the two plots come together. As you progress through the game, you learn more about the larger story, uh, things that start to take a darker tone, and uh, you basically yeah, it starts off in like a comedy, fantasy, happy world, and the story tends to get a lot more serious as you progress through. It's about... Sorry, I should probably just full-on like start from the beginning. It's about a guard called Tombert, who is a guard to the castle Wrinklewood. He has a few too many drinks on his birthday, and accidentally lets in a mysterious cloaked figure into the kingdom. You later find out that the princess has been kidnapped, and Tombert, who is quite fond of the princess, decides it's up to him to save her. So he goes above and beyond his duty as a guard to try and save the princess Feramin, and then stuff happens that's spoilery, so I can't say, but um, yeah, and then there's sci-fi things, and it's, it just gets crazy.
0: Well, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm really looking forward <laughs> to it because, I mean, even if it's just set in the um, medieval setting, that, that alone, because I, I love that setting, but to, to combine the, the sci-fi and the medieval my fantasy setting, I, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, I can't think of many other games. I know The Longest Journey kind of did something kind of similar with the sci-fi setting in Arcadia and then the magic setting in Mercuria, but th- this seems to go beyond, because from what I've seen, from what I've heard, the sci-fi setting seems to be serious, and the as you mentioned, at the, the beginning of the game, it's a kind of a co- more comedic humor setting, so... Was that was that always a plan for, for the game to have these different type of tones and then maybe join them or Yeah, we um without going too without getting too spoilery or Yeah, it's like the hardest game to pitch ever because like, <laughs> you
1: can't explain half of the game. Everyone's clueless. Like, what is this guy doing? Um yeah, we always wanted to have sci fi and fantasy. Um I just wanted that contrast. It just seemed The sort of thing you might see in like a Hollywood blockbuster movie, like having these two timelines. So I've not really seen it much in an adventure game. There is still some comedy in the sci-fi bits. It's all a bit tongue in cheek. The main character is like a typical gruff action hero who's a little bit dim-witted, but just sort of thinks with his fists, so to speak. Um, And there's a lot of kind of, uh, we take take the mick out of typical tropes of movies. Um, It's kind of a bit Blade Runner, a bit Star Wars. Yeah, it was just like, it seemed like a good idea at the start to have um, medieval fantasy and then the complete other end of the spectrum have sci-fi. I just, I, you know, I'd liked Lord of the Rings and I liked Blade Runner. So I thought, knock them together, see what happens. Um, it took a while to get the get the story really locked down. But yeah, I think, I think we've got a good story.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's uh, it's um, as, as you mentioned. Now that you mentioned it, it, seems like you know why didn't anybody else think of this? You know, putting Lord of the Rings and Blade Runner together. It's, <laughs> it's it sounds fascinating. Yeah, and, it's uh, either a
1: really terrible idea, and that's why no one's done it, or it's a right, work of genius. But.
0: Right, could, 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 I suppose it depends on the execution. That's uh, that, that's uh, it's, so, so far. I think it seems to be working out pretty well from what I've seen, and yeah. and, and so we're. Were there any particular inspirations for, for the game? I, I know you mentioned that you you liked uh, the Discworld uh, games, and you know I know you mentioned Lord of the Rings and Blade Runner, but were there any adventure games or any other maybe TV series that maybe gave you inspiration to make to hash out the story?
1: Yeah, so the artwork is quite heavily inspired by Simon the Sorcerer. Um, that was one of the games that whilst I was learning to do pixel art. It's like a big influence on me. Uh, I really like the artwork in that game. And um, I kind of tried my hardest to kind of reach that level of pixel art. Um, it's not quite there, but yeah, we've had a few people say it reminds me of Simon the Sorcerer. So that's good. I think the world itself, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, it's inspired by the Discworld games and the Discworld novels in kind of tone. But yeah, also Blazing Dragons, which I mentioned before, the way that that world is kind of laid out and the way that you progress through the story in that world was Quite a big influence. I really like that game. I highly recommend people check it out if they they get a chance. Um, It's definitely one of the one of the top sort of I don't know comedy adventure games I think. And there's a lot of comedy adventure games, so it's quite high praise.
0: (laughs) Uh, Definitely.
1: Yeah, it's not too long either. It's got some really nice animations in it. It's a really nice length, and the progression's good. Um, So yeah, that was quite a big influence on on the game. I think that's about it. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then the rest is, you know, you, yourself coming up with because from again from what I've seen it does remind me of different things, but it it seems to be its own thing, you know, that I can't can't pinpoint saying, Oh, this is exact you know, this seems to be like uh, Simon the Sorcerer or Discworld. It's, it seems okay there might be flashes of inspiration but it, from what i've seen it's its own thing then with the characters in in the game you mentioned i believe ton, ton time i believe the main character
1: tonbert yeah tonbert sorry a <laughs> bit, bit, I, I bit I of should, a weird name
0: <laughs> I'm, ter- I'm terrible with names so <laughs> it,
1: that's fine me too
0: <laughs> I, even in real life <laughs> yeah um so what what could you tell us about first of all the main character a tonbert Yes, that I think I got, hope I got that right. <laughs> yeah, uh, what, yeah. What can you right. tell us about this, char- uh, this character? How would you describe the main character of this game?
1: Um, yeah, I think, yeah, as I mentioned before, he's a guard to the castle of Wrinklewood. Um, his mother was a halfling, so he's a little bit shorter than most other guards, but his heart's in the right place. Um, mm-hmm. He's in love with the princess of Castle Wrinklewood, Princess Ferrimin, who he's only ever really had sort of brief interactions with, but he's kind of obsessed with her. And yeah, during, during the course of the game, he goes from having spent most of his life within the castle grounds to going on this grand adventure, which is sort of it's an adventure for him. It's new experiences for him when he leaves the kingdom, but it's also new experiences for the player. So we kind of try to tie in his experiences with the player experiences, so you feel a bit more involved.
0: Okay, and would you say, again, that he was inspired by anybody? Because it it so- sounds like uh, you know he could be inspired by maybe Guybrush Put or Simon the Sorcerer, or was he mainly like your your own creation, or did you have any other characters in mind? I think he, I
1: think he's got bits of Guybrush Put in him, because um, he's a little bit, he's not useless, but he's not um, the smartest chap in the world. We wanted to make like uh, not a typical hero. We wanted to make an everyday character that the player can relate to who's just sort of really wants to be a hero. He wants to do the right thing, but he's not got much experience in it. So he's kind of stumbling his way through. And that leads to all sorts of fun puzzles and interactions with the world. And means I get to do a bunch of funny animations, which I enjoy doing.
0: Yeah, sure. And then the other characters, some of the other characters that appear in the game, uh, you mentioned it's, it's kind of fantasy. You know, are there... Any, like, typical fantasy creatures or maybe uh, magic or anything involved? Or, like, again, without getting too... Without getting spoilery, <laughs> yeah Yeah. But it can be difficult. <laughs> no, there's
1: a few kind of... Your typical fantasy kind of characters. There's, like, an, an orc. Um, there's a big woodland troll who I got to do the voice for, <laughs> which was fun. Um, and there's, a, there's, like, a goblin and, and stuff. There's a, They're not, like... Um, not a a sort of focus of the story necessarily they're just kind of characters they're everyday characters i've tried to make them feel like normal people to an extent um who are just kind of going about their lives and tombert gets to meet them and chat with them and stuff
0: right so even though they're ogres or goblins they're they're just like people you know no one is, is saying oh you know look at this ogre you know it's very very strange and do they have you know the types have backstory so for example in the terry pratchett's Discworld, it's been a while since i read those books uh, i believe you know it's, the, um, it's the, the trolls and the dwarves that had that had war and if they, they didn't know why they were fighting each other but they knew that they hated each other is, are there things like that in the game or
1: yeah uh, there's there's a, a lot of stuff that's kind of briefly mentioned when you go into deeper conversation with characters uh, one thing we were trying to be aware of is not Giving the player too much text to read when you talk to people, so there's options to be able to ask people uh, more information about certain subjects. Um, like there was a grand fire in Hardington, which was a kingdom that um, burnt down to the ground, and Wrinklewood kind of adopted a lot of the people who lived in that kingdom, and also some of their um, equipment, some of their like flags and stuff. So the Wrinklewoods. Um, I can't think of the word for it right now, but like the flags and the things that are around Wrinklewood, they're all kind of mismatch of stuff they've collected from this other kingdom and the, uh, the ones they previously had. There's a lot of backstory to discover with the characters, but it's not like shoved in your face. You can kind of ignore it if you want, or you can go into a bit more detail. Um,
0: right, so it's up to the player then if they want to know more about the backstory or if they want to continue on with, with the actual story, but...
1: Yeah, we would yeah, we tried to be aware of the fact that a lot of players these days just they want the kind of flashy lights and the exciting bits. So um yeah, there's it doesn't really force you to listen to loads of dialogue. But there is yeah, there's backstory there if you want it.
0: Cool. Yeah, no, I I think I'll be the one of those players that want the backstory because I want to know everything about the world and the characters, so that's and you know you know i'm one of these people that clicks on everything and that goes through all the dialogue options and (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah so i'll I'll probably be wanting to know all all about the backstory of every character (laughs) and um and and so then the the locations in the game so you mentioned that there you know there's a castle and then you go outside the world. So uh, again, I'm, I'm conscious of maybe so I don't want to spoil things. But what if you want to talk maybe about, about the castle and the area around it? The first part. Uh, what 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 can we expect? Uh, what locations? Why? What type of locations can we see in in the game?
1: Yeah. Um, well, because I do all the artwork myself, so I got to kind of run wild with the different sorts of places that you visit in the game. I try to keep things fresh as you progress through the game and. Uh, give the player lots of different scenery to explore. So you start in quite a dense town called Wrinklewood, where you can go to the pub or the local shop, or you can explore the castle. There's there's like a blacksmith. And there's quite a lot of different locations in Wrinklewood. And then after a while, you get to leave the town and explore the wildlands, which is kind of a really new location for Tom, but he's never really spent much time outside of the town. He just kind of does his job. And then goes to the pub in the evenings. He doesn't really, he, he's never been interested in adventure. But um, yeah, you explore the wildlands where you've got locations like there's a wrinkle worm nest, which is essentially just a sandworm from June. But it's, okay. a, bit, it's a bit more scaly. Um, it's Yeah, there's big glimpses of it in some of our trailers. It's this giant worm that's got its nest just outside of the kingdom. There's an enchanted forest. There's an area called the probably shouldn't spoil everything, but there's an area called the Deadwoods, which is like this mysterious, misty wood that players may or may not get lost in at some point. Um, and then there's like a northern region, which is like a mountainous, snowy region that you get to visit briefly. And then, yeah, a load of sci-fi bits as well. Um, so, yeah, I kind of went a bit mad with the locations. I just thought, no, oh, this would be cool. I'll chuck that in there. Very oh, very professional, obviously.
0: But. Oh, oh no, that's great. Like when, when you're inspired to, you know, to think of a location, okay, no, put this in, see if it works. And th- did you maybe remove or did you kind of change as you went along when you were yeah, in the story? Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I sadly. think that's normal. That's you know, that's when you first take when you first get the ideas that you put them in, and then you change them as you go along. I think that seems to be the norm. But uh, I mean, I don't make adventure games or write stories, so I. I was uh, certainly for speaking to other developers. That seems to be the way. Now, is is there anything that you can say about the sci-fi part? Because I'm guessing that you might be want to keep as much of this as a surprise as possible. So again, I don't want to spoil anything. But is there anything that you can mention about the sci-fi, or is it better for players to learn as we go along as we play the game?
1: Hmm. Well, there's a off-world resistance group called the Guardians of New Haven. And there is a kind of big evil creature that is ruling most of the planet. And you play as Agent Starborn, who's an agent from the Guardians of New Haven, and he's on a mission to try and take down this evil overlord chap. I think that's I think that's, en- uh, that's, yep. that's enough information. And uh, okay, there's yep. there's um. Trying to think if there's anything else that I can kind of hint towards. Yeah, it has like dystopian skylines. There's um, a big evil headquarters that you get to explore and a few other bits and pieces.
0: Cool. And is, is there then, uh, if you can reveal this or not, if not, don't worry. Um, but you said that most of the game is set in the fantasy and then some of the sci fi. So do you know how much is set in medieval versus how much is set in sci fi? Is it like. 60, 40, 70, 30 or something? Or would you like the player to find out when uh, we play? It's
1: probably somewhere around 70, 30. Okay. Um, so the, the focus is the fantasy stuff. Um, and the player will kind of, the player will get to know Tom but quite extensively as they play through. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the sci-fi stuff is pretty cool as well. We're trying not to show too much of it. But there's, right. there's like, there's around 80 backgrounds, 80 locations in the whole game. So you still get a decent chunk of sci-fi to explore.
0: Right, okay. And so then when you're coming up with the story and designing the game, did you have, I don't know, maybe a separate document for each? So one document for the medieval setting and then another for the sci-fi, so so you wouldn't confuse the two or... (laughs) I, I don't know, the, did, did you ever think, uh, oh, you know, I don't want to confuse the two settings so maybe keep them separate or, or something? Or It's kind of, I guess
1: it was kind of divided into three parts. So we're focusing on the medieval fantasy world and the background for that world. We're focusing on the part of the plot that ties the two worlds together and then also focusing on the sci-fi as like a separate thing. So developing the sci-fi world was its own task. Developing a fantasy world was its own task, but both of those were done. Keeping in mind that there's this plot that ties them both together. So yeah, that's kind of how we approached it, anyway.
0: Okay, and and then th- th- this thing seems to be going around uh, Twitter that uh, can you pet the dog in the game? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just noticed that with other developers you know saying you can pet the dog or you can't pet the yeah. dog uh, i think it seems to be an important point can we pet the dog in guard duty yeah you can um <laughs> I, yeah i saw that i
1: saw the account a while back and i thought oh I know, i'm gonna have to put in an animation for petting the dog and it's been at the back of my mind for a few months and i finally did it um posted it and the can you pet the dog account retweeted it and then yeah i've seen a lot of other developers. Um, posting gifs about petting dogs as well now which is awesome so
0: no it's just it's really cool i mean it's a very small part of the game but it's really cool that it's an extra you know animation and it's nice as well it's but it's just something that i noticed at first i think i saw you say it and i thought oh it's you know it's a joke and then i saw other developers doing it and then i started there was an account about it so i thought oh this this might be a thing and I might start asking every every developer I speak to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if you've got a dog, you need to be able to pet it. It's kind of...
0: Yeah, kind of the first thing you want to do or...
1: Yeah, it's been... I think it's been a, like a running internet meme for quite a while with like, I don't know, Assassin's Creed games and stuff like that. It always seems right. to be a gif on Reddit somewhere of the dog being pet. And then, yeah, now there's a Twitter account that's retweeting it or and they've started doing it for indie games now as well, which is nice.
0: Yeah, it's very nice, and I'll have to ch- check it out more uh, in the future as well. And, um, okay, now I wanted to ask you about uh, the voice acting, which uh, what was there a, sp- a specific type of accent that you were looking for for the characters, maybe the characters in the medieval world versus the sci-fi world? You know, were they different accents, or were they, you know, did you get anybody sounded right? Or how did you go about getting, you know, for the characters to sound right?
1: Yeah, the... Um... So he wanted the medieval fantasy stuff to mostly be quite British accents, a lot of West Country accents. Honestly, I didn't have didn't have loads of money for voice acting. Um, so a lot of the characters are voiced by me, which is really? uh, it's yeah, it is, like, quite a lot. It's probably more than I should have done. But um, everyone seems to enjoy the voice acting. So I'm humbled by that. Um, there's a few of my friends who did some voice acting as well because we all we're all from the west country from like South e- England so we've all got these farmer accents and <laughs> talk like I don't know farmers or from the Hobbit and uh yeah it's, it's just I thought it'd be fun to have a bunch of voices like that and then also I got in some guest voice actors um some that have featured in other adventure games um, to do various voices and a few international so like some american voice actors and stuff um the sci-fi section is mostly kind of american voices and uh, there's one english voice actor in there uh, voiced by sally Beaumont, who is oh uh, yes she's featured in bertram fiddle and other lots of other adventure games yeah yeah um, erica sanderson who's another uh, voice actress we got in she's done a great job for one of the sci-fi characters um, so, yeah, there's a, a bit of a change in voices. Uh, namely, I don't do as many in the sci-fi bits. But, um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts in there. Uh, we've got a nice mix.
0: Okay, I, I didn't notice from what I've, I've seen, I didn't notice that uh, you or there was one particular person doing the voices. Did you voice the main character as well, or did in the medieval setting, or did you find a voice actor?
1: Um, yeah, I, I did the main character. It was uh, kind of a tactical choice because... Yeah, there's so many lines for the main character in an adventure game. If I was to pay someone to record them all, it would have been far out of my budget. Right. Um, well, like.
0: well, well, I like, from what I've seen, I like, and I didn't notice, genuinely, and I know that with other developers, I won't mention any names, but with other game developers who voice themselves uh, kind of have mixed results. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, you know, there, there are other games where... I was thinking, God, who did the voice? And then it was a developer. And I was like, oh, God. But no, in, di- in this, I didn't notice. Oh,
1: that's and, good to hear.
0: And I um, know uh, that, that sounds like you're using the tools available and then getting well-known actors for some roles. And now I believe on the Steam page, it was... Uh, you mentioned that there's 6,000 uh, lines of fully voiced dialogue. That sounds like a lot to me. Um, um, is is yeah, that a normal amount or...?
1: I think it's actually a little bit less than a lot of adventure games. Um
0: really? so it, okay. it just
1: it just sounds great when you say it like <laughs> 6000 lines.
0: It sounds like a, a lot to me. I mean for I mean maybe like with without fully voiced dialogue, but everything is voiced, right? So All of the descriptions of the objects and
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely everything in the game is voiced. Um which is yeah, a lot of it is because I voiced the main character, so it wasn't too much trouble to have a voiced. voice, but so
0: Yeah, we got Pay yourself st- extra.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Um, yeah, living <laughs> off of a very small budget at the moment, mostly eating noodles. Uh, yeah, they've got six thousand three hundred and fifty-nine lines of dialogue, which um I think it's a it's quite a bit less than like Lamplight City. And I'm not sure about unavowed, but yeah, I know Lamp Light City had a lot of oh, voice yeah. dialogue in it.
0: Yeah, that, that was a that was a long game as well, you know. There was a lot there was a lot in it, a lot of voice and then with the Gameplay. So you mentioned that with the graphics and all that, it you know maybe looks at first glance at least like maybe a 1990s game, I mentioned Simon the Sorcerer and that. But what um, what about the gameplay? What can you tell us about the gameplay? So the interface first of all, how does that work?
1: Um, yeah, it's a two-click interface. So you left-click to interact with things. You right-click to look at things to get a better description of whatever you're interacting with. Um, we've done away with inventory combining puzzles so you don't ever combine inventory items it makes it a little bit easier to understand for some players i think because when you've got inventory full of items and then you can also combine all of the items as well you end up with like so many different options for what you can interact with that you end up i personally i find a lot of people just combine every item with every other item until they make a new item so Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah we kind of designed the puzzles with that in mind that we didn't really want any combining of items in there you pick up items you use them it's mostly quite logical that because making the game for so long there's quite a lot of content in there so we didn't have to rely on much backtracking um i know a lot of not necessarily like indie developers of adventure games but a lot of the older adventure games would have you kind of spending a lot of time going backwards and forwards just so that it had a longer play time in the game so we tried to cut down a bit on that so we like to think the progression's quite solid like you just Everything should feel quite new and fresh to the player, and hopefully they won't get stuck for too long. At least our testers haven't got stuck for too long, but a lot of them are adventure game fans. So. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, yeah. No, but I think that's one thing that I've, I've noticed in more recent games, which is a trope that seem to have that de- developers like yourself seem to have worked on is not to have as much backtracking, because some of the older games. As you mentioned, that you just go back to screens just to increase the length of the time, but I, I believe that developers nowadays might be thinking, no, Even if the game is shorter, we want to create like a better experience for for the for the game players and to progress with the story and with the gameplay, which I'm all for, by the way. And um, now one one thing that that I you know as well with the with the gameplay, I also this is personally my favorite when you you know right click to describe and left click. To carry the action like they did in the first two Broken Sword games, and I believe Benita Steel Sky, because I believe that's the simplest. Yeah. And and you know I, when I'm playing a game, I don't like to fight with the controls. So, uh, so if it's you know easy for me, and then for the the hotspots, then to pick up the items, is there any way to distinguish what can be interacted with, in um, in the game?
1: Yeah. So we have the cursor changes when you're over a hotspot. Um, so it changes color. And we also have a hotspot description at the bottom of the screen. So whenever you're hovering over something that you can interact with, the name of that hotspot comes up at the bottom of the screen. Uh, we try oh, to that. just streamline it keep it pretty simple.
0: That sounds good. And Actually, I'm about to ask you another thing about the voice acting. Yeah, we're going back and forth. But in the very brief section that, that I played um, when... Your character, shall we say? He, I don't want to give too much away. He's not able to speak. Yeah, <laughs> and and you <he's>, talk <laughs> how Bruce. So since you were the one who recorded it, how did you go? Because I, I thought it was very it was funny, but also I was impressed with you know if you listen very closely you can mir- nearly kind of understand. But how did you go about recording the dialogue like that? Did you do anything in particular to um,
1: speak like that? I'm not sure whether it was the most professional way of doing it, but he sort of... He goes from talking like this, and then I just put my hand <laughs> And yeah, it essentially just covered my mouth with my hand. It's nothing <laughs> particularly technical or fancy. Um, fancy. I think, yeah, it causes a little bit of, like, sort of dodgy reverb and echo on the mic occasionally. But it sounds like... Because he... Yeah, I think it's all right to spoil this right at the start of the game. But he falls into a hornet's nest, a bee's nest, and he gets like a face full of these boils and stings, and he can't speak properly. So yeah, yeah to make him mumble, yeah, just yeah, put my hand in front of my mouth. <laughs> no, for,
0: for for me it worked. It, it it was funny, and then with the with the other character saying, "I don't understand what you're saying," and and he's getting more frustrated and agitated. And, uh, yeah, it's
1: uh... it a nice way of kind of limiting what the player can do. Like, we didn't want to stop the player from going where they wanted at the start. So you can explore different areas in the kingdom. But um, there's only so much you can do when you can't actually articulate and talk to people. Um, so yeah, it allowed us to give the player quite a nice area to explore without giving them too many different options for puzzle solving.
0: Right, yeah and um and then with with the puzzles again without spoiling anything now you mentioned that the testers didn't seem to have been stuck yet and then there's no inventory combination so did you you know did you design the puzzles maybe with modern game players in mind who might not have played the previous adventure games of the 90s
1: yeah i think it's in it's important too because mm. if we want this genre to keep going which it seems to be thriving at the moment There's loads of adventure Ooh. games coming out i think it's really important to try and like ease new players into the genre and not put in these artificial barriers just because we're fans of the old games i mean a hard adventure game is good fun but with the sort of availability of walkthroughs and stuff on the internet now and everyone has quite short attention spans now it's if you put in a puzzle that's too hard people are either just going to Alt tab out and look up a guide, or they're going to get bored and stop playing the game and play one of the other millions of games that are available on Steam, and then they might not come back to your game. Oh, we don't so, want that. Yeah, exactly. So there's this fine balance between having puzzles that are challenging that you feel sort of clever when you solve, and um, yeah, having puzzles that are also easy enough that people don't get fed up and quit. Uh, yeah, we try to walk the line and balance that.
0: Sure, yeah, because I know that. Might be adventure game fans who you know maybe grew up playing the Sierra Lucasarts games who want the challenge and who maybe sometime might like the very hard puzzles, but then other people who are just getting into the genre that, as you mentioned, would get frustrated. So it's a fine line. Uh, so what again, without spoiling anything, do you, what type of puzzles you know did you uh, did you have? Uh, are there are there choices like in other games uh, that you do, or do many inventory puzzles or um
1: so there isn't branching narrative. Shall, I should probably say that. There's um it's a it's a linear story similar to like Monkey Island and stuff. Right. Um yeah we it's not the sort of game that we really wanted to have like player choice in. I I'd, I'd love that in games I think it's absolutely great but a game this big if we'd done that would have I don't think we would have ever finished it. But yeah the puzzles are mostly a kind of environmental puzzle. so a lot of them I like, designed from like a visual standpoint first so i decided what i wanted to happen with the world or what i wanted to look at it to look like and got an idea for how the animations would be and then designed puzzles around that so you find that um quite a lot of the puzzles are kind of physical like tangible barriers in the world not just a locked door because that's been done to death but um <laughs>
0: and then use paper under the, under the door <laughs> yeah exactly um, but yeah most of them are kind of like environmental
1: things that you can overcome with some kind of inventory item or a dialogue option that leads you to it but you end up with a cool animation when you solve the puzzle which is like a nice little reward for the player um, solving the puzzle
0: okay and do, do the puzzles get progressively more difficult as the game goes on or are they at a similar level throughout the game
1: They're mostly at a similar level. I think they get a little bit harder after you get past the first sort of hour or so of gameplay. But yeah, it's the end of the game. It does start to slip into a bit more of a streamlined puzzle design. Um, We sort of mix up the way the game plays a little bit in the last kind of third or so of the game. So we try to make it feel a bit more like an interactive cutscene without the player getting bored. So there's like, there's still player input um it still plays like a point and click adventure game but from a puzzle design standpoint we wanted it to be a bit more about like the animations in the story and a bit less about getting physically stuck at areas um so basically taking yeah what i was saying about keeping the progression moving forward and just pushing that to the max towards the end of the game
0: okay yeah so so then, quick-time quick, quick time events, right? <laughs>
1: Thankfully, no quick-time events.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah. That's, that's good. I mean, I don't mind them the odd time. And as you mentioned, the choice-driven games, I love some of them, you know, I love Unavowed and Unplugged City. But there are also times when I like a linear story that I don't have to have kind of the stress of, is this the right choice? Is this, you know, the, the correct choice? Or do I have to go back and see, uh, you know, would this have worked? You know, it's, it's nice, as you mentioned, with the like games like Monkey Island and that, just to enjoy the story and progress to, through it. So I'm kind of glad that games like this still exist, that you're still making games like these. And then in the description, you also mentioned that another thing that I really like is a to-do list that keeps track yeah. of your... So what what can you tell us about that? So, uh, it, um, yeah, so what, why did you include this in the game?
1: Yeah, so it was just to try and make it a bit more accessible. Um I think all modern RPGs have quest lists, like mm-hmm. quest logs now. And it just seemed really logical to have one in an adventure game. We're not the first adventure game to do it. I'm sure there's plenty that have done it before, but yeah, it just it just worked. We kind of simplified it a bit. It is literally just a long sheet of paper that Tom Burt's got. He's got a pencil in his inventory and he writes down notes as he goes around. Um so if you ever you are if you ever are stuck, it will give you there'll be a note in it that is related to the kind of main narrative so the main it's like n- main narrative puzzles um and it's just in tomba's handwriting he's just scribbled down something like my face is full of bee stings i need to fix my face um and then it kind of it does play into there's a puzzle that it plays into as well where you know you something you have to get something particular written down on your to-do list um but yeah, it's just a nice way of keeping track of things, making sure people know where they're going. It's not; it doesn't really give away any huge sort of puzzle spoilers. It's just more of a yeah way of keeping track of stuff.
0: No, but it's, it's much appreciated because also if you when you quit the game and then depending on how busy you are in life, if you go back a week later or a month later, it's handy to have a to do list to go. Oh yeah, no, I was doing this and I need to do this. Yeah. Because sometimes it's happened to me where I go back to a game after a while and I forget what I was doing. I forget I was in the middle of a puzzle and I think go, what was I doing? You know, how do I resolve this? How do I, you know, what, what do I need to do now? So it's good to have this. I think that's sounds uh, very good. And then you mentioned, uh, with the graphics, with the pixel art. So we mentioned a little bit that it's, um, that it's similar to Simon, the sorcerer then. Uh, so it's, uh, did you hand did you hand paint the graphics or how did you create the graphics then for the game?
1: Um, it, yeah, it's all created pixel by pixel in Photoshop. So, yeah, we use a. Uh, 4 by 3 aspect ratio. It's like the same aspect ratio that the 90s games used. It does mean there's black borders either side if you're playing it on a widescreen monitor, which pretty much everyone is these days. Um, But you also have the option of playing it on a really cool old CRT screen and it will give you that genuine, authentic, classic adventure game feel because it's the right aspect ratio. Um, Yeah, I create all the backgrounds in Photoshop just with the pencil tool, dot by dot. Uh, there's a few areas where you can get away with copy-pasting things, like grass textures. I've you know, done a bit of copy-paste. Um, and then I do some overlay effects I'll do in After Effects. It's, like a, it's a bit of video editing software, actually, but you can like lock down the resolution and set it to really low resolution, and you can Make it so the output settings uh, nearest neighbor, so you can actually do sort of pixel art style animations in After Effects, and we use that for stuff like rain, and there's a few animations for like leaves falling in the forest, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that I mean, from watching the videos as well, that and through the screenshots, uh, it looks beautiful, and yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I know, that I, genuinely, it lo- it looks. Uh, you know not not just that it looks like a game back then but it kind of looks like maybe what those games might look like kind of now if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and um, but it looks like a lot of work has really gone into them and you mentioned there the animations you know with the leaves blowing in in the wind and uh, did, did it take you a long time to to draw the animations for for the game
1: yeah, yeah, too too long. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's silly, really, because art is kind of my passion. Um, it was the area where I had the most experience in. I went a bit overboard with it all. And yeah, I, it's, I've spent a lot of time doing the artwork for it. I think, you know, it's, it's a graphic adventure, so the graphics are quite important. Um, but yeah, this... I just, There was a lot of areas where I thought, this background's really still. It doesn't look alive, so let's make the leaves blow in the wind. Let's add a little squirrel that runs across the screen, or a rabbit in the foreground that bounces about. Just try to make sure that every screen had some layer of animation on it. Like Stuff like the pub, all of the characters have idle animations. There's a chap playing darts in the foreground. There's people drinking, just to keep things... Yeah, moving keep things feel active. That was like my strong, strong uh, strength. Whatever. Yeah, that was the bit I was good at. So I thought, you know, I'll just put my all into that, and then hopefully everything else will do fairly well, be complemented by that.
0: Yeah, well, I think it seems to work. I think that's another kind of trope of adventure games that the the, the background seems to be very still, or the characters are just standing still like statues, yeah. especially the older. Games, I also felt that a bit weird that you know a character is standing and doesn't move at all. Um, But I also understand from a developer point of view that it's a lot more work to make the animation. So again, it it is much appreciated that you go the extra mile to uh, to do that. And then, so, so did you do the, all the, like, the animations yourself or did you work with Andy to, to do them?
1: Yeah, I, I did all of the animations. Um, I think, I mean, with the resolution we're working at with Guard Duty, because it's quite low res, it's a lot quicker to be able to add in smaller animations than it would be if we were working on like a high resolution game. Right. So thankfully, some of them didn't take as long. I, I could spend a couple of hours and do like a character idle animation or two. And it adds quite a lot to the scene having that character having a little animation that they play out whilst you're just walking about. Um, and over the years, those kind of just mounted up. Yeah, I, I did did all the animations myself uh, with the help of Photoshop and After Effects to cheat a little bit.
0: We can tell, you know that that the work you know that you have put the work in. So, and with that. Oh, okay, yeah. And then you mentioned uh, the music. I forget the name of the person who did uh, the music. Who, who did the music again of the game?
1: Um, a guy called Richard Stevens.
0: And he, he did uh, 30 unique songs, I think, or music.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? he's, he's done a great job with it. I basically just sent him over various reference songs mm-hmm. when I needed a song for a new location. I said, make it sound a bit like these. And he'd send me back something that was really, really good in most cases. He's not He's not a huge fan of adventure games. I don't think he's played that many adventure games, but he's really good at kind of nailing that adventure gamey feel from the 90s. Um, a lot of modern games tend to have quite grand soundtracks with a lot of, like, orce- orchestral... Orchestrical? Orchestral. Right. orchestral. <laughs> <laughs> not the bird, but yeah. They have, yeah. like, orchestras <laughs> playing the music. That's what I'm going for. Um, but yeah, we kind of went back to like it's not quite midi music but it's not super high fidelity music either it's somewhere in the middle and yeah i was really happy with what he did with it
0: yeah sure and the, uh, so he and so, so you mentioned it's not orchestra so again it's like you know not like midi again but so did you go back and forth uh, with with the interaction with him about the about the music for the game there was a little bit at the start of the project
1: um, but he Really early on, he sort of nailed the vibe that I was looking for. The first song that we got through was the music for Tonda's Bedroom, which is, like, as you know, this is one of the very first rooms you mm-hmm. play in in the game. And, um, yeah, he just I sent him some example tracks. I think I sent him some tracks from Discworld, and it was very, very similar to the example tracks I sent him over. So I was like, oh, brilliant. You, know, you seem to be the right guy for the job. Um, and it was just off of that first song that I kind of said, yeah, let's work together. And then each song he kept sending, they were really good. There's a couple now and then that I sort of said to him that we need to change this a bit. It's not quite what I'm looking for, but nine times out of 10, he, he got it right first time. So
0: Okay. And then with the sound effects, did he do the sound effects as well, or did you add in the sound effects yourself?
1: Uh, so I did the sound effects. I At the start of the project, I was creating the sound effects like like a Foley artist would for a film. So I was recording noises in in like recording the taps in my bathroom or going outside and crunching up plastic bags and for our initial demo that we used at conventions a lot of the sound effects in that were recorded by me but i kind of very quickly realized that i was spending far too much time doing that and there's like whole sound libraries of sound effects on the internet that you can buy and license out for really small amounts of money and they've got much better quality sound effects than i could ever make so um yeah, there's some of the original ones that I've made myself in there, but most of the sound effects are things that I've sort of taken from online. I've modified, pitch shifted, added reverb and stuff, and then they're they're in the game. Um, it's turned out all right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I used to do a bit of sound design for video editing when well, I used to work in video, and I just kind of carried that over to this, and... I think it's all right there's a, probably a couple of rough edges here and there but hopefully no one will notice
0: oh yeah, well, that sounds <laughs> I, I think we can, we can notice as well when we play the game but it's, it's like um you know the, i think it's the monty python when for the horses and they have two coconuts together <laughs> <laughs> yeah so gotta be creative and
1: <laughs> yeah the um, the goat in our intro is uh bamboo box that I had that my girlfriend got me and um, yeah it's just sort of clapping that together I was like oh it sounds like hooves just like Monty Python
0: that's amazing what you can achieve because I was watching the making of Indiana Jones the uh, and the Temple of Doom and you know the roller coaster scene yeah. and I can't remember exactly how they did it but they were telling t- t- they're saying how they achieved the sound effects and it was it was crazy that it was just like normal sound effects that, that we hear but then the how do you have to scrunch it all together to make it sound like the the roller coaster so but well, it depends on how creative you are so
1: yeah it's amazing what sort of sounds you can make up just from mixing different sources I mean, even when we were got to the point where i was downloading sound libraries they didn't didn't always have what i wanted so you can kind of take some of them and like i say change the pitch or mm slow them down and mix them with other sounds and yeah you can create all sorts of stuff it's really fun
0: sure yeah and so th- then from your experience from your beta testing experience so how long would would it typically take a player to, to play the game uh, to its full or, or has it been different from different people um
1: it's been yeah it's been a variety i think the quickest someone's finished it like for their first playthrough has been about six hours um We've had people take up to 12 hours, but bearing in mind they are testing, so they're trying mm-hmm. to click on everything. Uh, I think the average is about eight or nine hours. So it's quite, yeah, fairly substantial game.
0: Yeah, I think nowadays that's kind of, you know, so it's a nice linear experience as well. So it's eight or nine hours and progressing with story, so no no artificial obstacles from, from what I hear. <laughs> yeah. because, because even I think back even the early like Sierra LucasArts games, because people I think, oh, they're a bit longer. But if we remember, they were longer because the puzzles, a lot of time were, you know, t- took a long time and there weren't walkthroughs available and we were, you know, going backtracking as well. So it could be probably similar that now just games are more kind of streamlined that you can progress better through them, I think. Now I still love those early games. Say as well that you have someone working on the, on the import of the game to Mac and Linux as well.
1: Yeah, um, yeah a guy called Chris who is uh, working on Mac and Linux ports for us. I say he's working on them. They're finished, essentially. I've just got to sign off our final build of the game and then send them to him. And then okay. he, he just updates the ports. Um, but yeah, so it means that we get to uh, launch on Linux and Mac, which is really cool. We've had a lot of support from the Linux community. A lot of, a lot of people have contacted me or have replied on Twitter threads on Steam forums and stuff saying they're really excited for the game. So, I think like Linux, a lot of developers don't really worry about developing the Linux build of their game. Um, but yeah, the opportunity was there and they seem to really appreciate it. So It's a small market, but they're quite a vocal market.
0: Yeah, I think the, the more places available... Better so, yeah, uh, and it's, so it's available on Windows as well. And, and any plans to to port it to other devices like Switch, maybe, or any other <laughs> devices? Uh, that...
1: Yeah, we we'd love to. The AGS engine is a little bit tricky.
0: Yeah, I I port. remember Dave Gilbert mentioned that. So yeah, so had there been any? Do you know if there's been any progress on that since since I spoke to Dave Gilbert and Francisco a few months ago? Or
1: it's very hard. There's kind of there's a few things going on behind the scenes. There is um there's like a publisher slash porting company that seem to be having some luck with getting AGS games on the Switch. Um so yeah, we'll see see how that goes for them. But yeah, it's just um yeah, is one of those things. It costs a lot of money to port games to different right. platforms. I think Mac, Linux, and Windows, because they're all a very similar kind of—they're both mouse and keyboard-based, similar platform. They're a bit easier to port to. Um, but right. we'd lo- we'd love to have the game on Switch if the opportunity arises. We will. We might do mobile ports later down the line if people like the the PC release.
0: Okay. And then before we 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 finish up, then uh, do you you put this game on Kickstarter? Is that right? Or am I? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so I just wanted to, to ask you because I asked some other developers about their opinion on Kickstarter. Uh, for, first of all, why did you decide to go to Kickstarter uh, route? I'm guessing it's because you needed the funding.
1: <laughs> kind of, yeah. We didn't <laughs> we didn't ask for very much on Kickstarter. Um, so our goal was, I think the goal was two thousand pounds, and we got about four thousand five hundred or something like that. I hope that's right. So, yeah, we weren't one of these big budget Kickstarters at all, but it was more to test the market, I guess, to see if people were interested in supporting a project like Guard Duty. I didn't have that much of a following at the time, mm. so my reach as far as marketing wasn't that great. And it's just, yeah, it was an opportunity to kind of engage with adventure game fans. See if the game was something people would want, and also we've also we've now had this like the Kickstarter backers supporting us along the way, which has been great. So they've been helping out with beta testing and um, like yeah, supporting us on our social media platforms and stuff.
0: Cool. And since you mentioned your game was successful, is there anything that you think that you think you did in particular? Because I know a Kickstarter that it can be difficult to to be successful from other developers who told me that it's like a full-time job by itself that, that month. Yeah. Um, so is, is there anything in the particular that, that you did or any advice that you would have for anybody thinking of going the Kickstarter route?
1: Um, yeah, it is, it is intense, even for a small Kickstarter like our one. Ideally, you need to ask for enough money to make the project, which we didn't do at all. But then you run the risk of asking for too much. So, it's probably best to have a look at a bunch of games that are like your game, similar kind of production quality, and see how much they asked for and how much they got. Base your target off of them and make sure you've got most of that month free to just support the Kickstarter. (laughs) Kickstarter allows you to send out a preview link to your project before it's gone live so you can get feedback from people, which is really good. So, with Guard Duty, we sent that out to a few other developers that we knew and they gave us their opinions on stuff like the video that we had on there and the screenshots and the text and stuff. So that's that's worth doing. Get some feedback on it first. And um, yeah, I think promoting it prior to the Kickstarter going live is probably a good idea. So putting out sort of social media messages saying, we've got a Kickstarter going live in five days' time, four days' time, three days' time, doing a sort of countdown Making sure that you sent out press releases um, to let all the press know that you're doing a Kickstarter is really important. And yeah, once the Kickstarter is going, just you need to be on it every day. You need to be um, everywhere you've posted a link to the Kickstarter. You need to be replying to messages, all of the comments on the Kickstarter you need to be replying to. um, And just generally, yeah, focus on that whilst you're doing it. I'm sure that's probably tough for people who've got a full time job. Um, I took some time off work at the time, I believe, to kind of support the Kickstarter. I think I took the first week off work. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is a lot. You need to put a lot into it, but you can get loads out of it. You, it's, even for a small scale one like ours, it was super helpful just having that community of people there who you know are supporting your project. You know that they're interested and willing to give you money to make this. It's a real confidence boost. It help, helped me a lot.
0: Definitely, yeah. No, I've seen other Kickstarter. I mean, I've seen Kickstarters that, from what I could see, seem to have been run very well and been promoted first, but didn't make it for whatever reason. But uh, I suppose it depends on you know the market at the time. But then I've seen other Kickstarters where other developers have just put uh, their games or their products out, and then I've seen that they don't update and they don't reply to comments and they don't interact with, uh, with the fans. And I think, okay, as you mentioned, you kind of need to interact with the people. For it to be a, a success, and um,
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's it's sad when you see kickstarts that don't, that get don't out make decks.
0: exactly, yeah. Because no, there's some really interesting games that you know, thinking, oh, I want this to succeed, but then unfortunately didn't succeed. And now, it's a good thing is that there are people as well who didn't succeed at first. They would then go back and maybe do it a different way, or, or at least continue making the game, or go back and ask for less money or change. Something so it's not the end of the world if the Kickstarter doesn't work the first time, yeah. um, But and and then and other dev- other people have asked me who want to make adventure games, but how it's very very competitive now. Uh, di- who people are asking me that you know telling me that they wanted to maybe work full-time making adventure games. And do you think that that's possible? I mean, we see with Francisco Gonzalez and Dave Gilbert that that's possible. But if, you're, if your name is not Francisco or Dave Gilbert, uh, is, is it really possible, do you think, for independent adventure game developers to work full-time on adventure games? Or do you think people should keep another job just in case?
1: I honestly think that you need to have released a couple of Short adventure games or short games first before you consider it, or potentially have another source of income that can kind of help right. support you whilst you're developing it. Ideally, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's really tough. Um, those guys have been making games for a long time. They have a back catalogue of games that bring mm-hmm. the money in um, that are still selling on Steam and stuff, and they're able to support themselves. There's the option of going with a publisher. They can sometimes give you an advance or they can like. Uh, give you a bit of a living cost to help support development but you need to you need to be able to prove yourself first I think if you were to if you were someone who wants to make adventure games you want to do it full-time as a living but you haven't you know you haven't dipped your toes in the water so to speak um, make make one or two short games like set yourself two months three months to just work and make a short game release it on itch for free on itch.io or something and start building um an audience start building a following and then yeah you, you never know where it's going to lead you might find in a year's time you've made two games like short games for two games um one of them was really popular so maybe you think right i could potentially do a kickstarter here for a sequel to the really popular one or um but yeah it's it depends on your your circumstances completely um those guys right, he, yeah. he mentions they're in a good position and they've worked really hard to get there mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah I I don't know I'm hoping that at some point I'll be able to sort of fund my living costs off of releasing this game and potentially another game maybe do another Kickstarter but, um, yeah just see how it goes
0: oh, well again you never know so then if you are working uh, you just made a game you know free in your free time like in the in the evenings maybe or anytime you have free time.
1: Uh, so, a lot of guard duty was done as a hobby project in the evenings. Um, I made quite a—I don't know if it was a silly decision or not. I quit my job to work on it full time about a year ago, just over a year okay. ago. Um, I thankfully have—I had a bunch of money saved up because um, I was, yeah pretty careful with my money and it was something that i've always wanted to do so i had a nice chunk of money rather than going on a trip around the world like a lot of people my age were doing um i decided to sit in room and make an adventure game for a year but um yeah and i've had to supplement it with like some freelance work and stuff along the way so it's although i say i've been working on the game full-time there's been quite a lot of working on other things other projects as well but yeah it's um it's been tough like uh yeah, my girlfriend sort of is paying half of the bills on our house, and she's had, had to buy the last few f- food shops and stuff because I'm really running out of money now. But yeah, it's it's quite. A, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say to anyone, look, just go for it, quit your job, live the dream. I'd say ease into it slowly. <laughs> no, take take baby steps first, and then maybe consider that after you've got something that can kind of show you that that's the viable option.
0: Right. Well, hopefully now, once the game is released, you can start paying paying your girlfriend back, you know, start paying (laughs) for for the food now again. Yeah. All right, now let's go to this fancy restaurant. in.
1: <laughs> let's yeah. go to
0: London for the weekend.
1: <laughs> I definitely owe uh, like a few meals, maybe even a holiday, but we'll see.
0: Oh, well, it depends. Um, and so now as you're reaching the final stretch of release. Um, how how do you go over it? Since this market is now very saturated, as we mentioned, there's lots of not just games, but adventure games now. Even just on Steam, uh, how do you go about differentiating yourself? How do you get the word out there? You know, apart from appearing on podcasts, of course. But how, how do, you, how, do you, how do you go about you know getting the word out there um, to uh, to people, to press maybe, or to people, to possible gamers? Or
1: it's really hard to get the big press sites to talk about your game. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if my game's just not quite good enough yet, or I don't have enough of a reputation yet. But um, all those sort of big sites like Rock Paper Shotgun and and gadget uh, sorry yeah, and Game Informer and things like this they they don't post about games like mine but there is a lot you can do um, I post gifs on Twitter all the bloody time
0: <laughs> yes I can see that and I think it works <laughs> yeah
1: um, post yeah find some cool bits of your game that look quite interesting make a gif out of it and then post it on social media make sure that every Wednesday you do indie dev hour which is a hashtag indie dev hour it's like an hour Hashtag that um, everyone posts stuff about their games and, you know, everyone's retweeting different bits and pieces. Uh, There's Screenshot Saturday, which is a good one. Mm. So every Saturday post a screenshot from your game. That's a hashtag as well. Um, And yeah, like, don't be afraid to post something and then retweet it later on or repost it later on. A lot of people seem to be worried that their followers will get fed up with them spamming stuff. But no one's complained to me yet. And I post crap all the time. (laughs) I'm always retweeting old stuff reposting old stuff and you find that every time you do it you get like one or two new followers or something and if like like me you do that i've been doing it for like well, a couple of years now and yeah it's sort of slowly growing a following which is good it's it takes a long old time but um, yeah i think yeah social media is the way to do it um get a steam page on steam mm-hmm. as early as possible um even if you've only got like a few clips of your game and a few screenshots it's really good to get a steam page up because like wishlists slowly trickle in over time so the longer your steam page is up the more wishlists you get and the more wishlists you've got when you launch the bigger your launch buzz will be because there's more people who are aware of it um so yeah try and i i've read this in a lot of places but try and do the promotion as early as possible and yeah don't be shy to show stuff i know with adventure games especially you spend ages doing background art And then you don't really want to show it off because you might only have three backgrounds for your game so far. And if that's the case, then just post one background and maybe do a couple of GIFs of two different interactions on that background and repost them. And yeah, engage with other people on on social media platforms as well. Um, Yeah, just don't be afraid to show your stuff.
0: Sure, yeah. No, I I see that adventure game developers need to engage with each other and interact with one another, which I really like to see. That's not... Uh, you know, okay, there is competition as well, but it seems that like everyone helps each other as well. Yeah, it's um,
1: a really nice community. It's yeah. So, no, so it's many ab- good people.
0: That's no, absolutely lovely then. And uh, then do, do you happen to have any release date by any chance? Because the- <laughs> <laughs> I know you said last that it's coming soon. Yeah, Congrats. it's coming May
1: the 2nd which feels pretty crazy to say that because we've been working on it for over four years. But um, May the 2nd, we're launching on Windows, Mac and Linux.
0: Great. Okay. Um, So May May the 2nd then, it'll be be out. Okay. And then where can people find the game then?
1: It's going to be available on Steam. And we're currently looking at other storefront options. Um, Sadly, GOG didn't want it <laughs> they said oh, no a shame i'm not sure what's going on with gog at the moment but um yeah they weren't they weren't keen uh maybe they'll see if it does well on steam maybe they'll reconsider but um yeah so we're looking at other storefront options maybe like itch.io or something we're not too sure yet but...
0: okay i'm a little concerned about gog that's I, I don't know like i hear some stories that i don't know seem to be doing too well and you know i like mm-hmm. them as well it's good that you know i Well, I like Steam. I think it's good to have competition. Um, Would you consider uh, trying to get your game on the Epic uh, Store by any chance? Because I know it it seems to have like people seem to have some strong opinions about this (laughs) store. I don't. I don't know too much about it myself. So. But I don't know, the game developer. Would you be interested in trying to get it in Epic Store or even, I believe Discord have, are trying to have their own store or have their own store. So would you be?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, an Epic, it's an Epic Store exclusive. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that'll go down well. <laughs> yeah. No, I think
1: Epic Store are uh, they? They're not taking on small indies like myself at the moment i think they're right. taking on a few sort of indie superstars so to speak the people who are already quite popular um but yeah the discord store is interesting so that's that's a potential place that we could sell it um yeah which we're kind of we're looking into things at the moment i'm open to anything really but we we do have a publisher so okay i think, I okay. think they they make the final decision on where it's sold but it's Definitely available on Steam. So if anyone wants it, go Wishlist Guard Duty on Steam and you'll get a notification when it releases.
0: Cool. And uh, so where can people find... Do you have an official website for the game and uh, social media?
1: Um, yeah, you can... So you can go to Um well, That's our main website. Um, the Twitter is twitter.com forward slash studio. Although I want to change it because it sounds like I'm talking about a girl when I say sick chick. um, Wow, that's some sick chick there. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I've I've had to say that out loud a few times since I've said that. Yeah i'm not too keen on it but yeah just go to sickchicken.com and um, our social links are down the bottom so you can get on our social platform media we've got facebook and stuff i probably don't update facebook as much as i should but twitter's the main one that i'm i frequent and post all the gifs
0: okay well i'll i'll i'll, I'll include as in many links as i can and even i am thinking you could change if you change your name to sick bird but even that could have different connotations at least in Ireland. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, it could could over here as well. I, uh, I was thinking maybe hypno chicken. Hi- uh, yeah, hypno like, hypnotic. Maybe yes. Yeah, so after,
0: after this game releases, you know, change maybe the the, the name of the studio. Maybe it's different, a different and different logo. Maybe I don't know. Well, the logo's fine as it is. Maybe, but
1: yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm at the point yeah. where I can't really change the name before I release this game. Sure, it'll yeah, just confuse everyone. But...
0: <laughs> and. Uh, Okay, I, I think we've asked is there, it, I'll leave it for you to take us out then, is there anything at all that you would like to to mention to the people listening to, I don't know, any uh, people who have maybe helped you on Kickstarter or fans or other developers or anyone at all?
1: Hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just name drop some developers that people should check out. Um, oh,
0: that's nice of you, yeah. That's,
1: <laughs> yeah, so we've spoken about Francisco and Dave Gilbert quite a lot, so mm-hmm. I'll leave them out for the moment but they um, they
0: don't need extra (laughs) (laughs) fine; they're already (laughs) superstars Um, yeah so
1: um, I played the first episode of Inspector Waffles by Glosso Games recently that was really fun Um,
0: I I played Antenna Dilemma the first uh, chapter as well which is also very fun (laughs)
1: yeah I need to play Antenna Dilemma that that does look great I love the style of that
0: yeah no I'll I'll be reviewing that game in a future episode but yeah
1: um, yeah, uh, shout out to my good friend Joe Richardson, who made Four Last Things and Preposterous Awesomeness of Everything. Um, he makes uh, adventure games out of Renaissance artwork. He sort of cuts it up, kind of Monty Python style. His games are awesome. You should check him out as Joe Richardson.
0: Yes, no, I've, I've seen it in trailers. I haven't played them, but yeah, they do look very interesting.
1: Yeah, he's just, he's, he's hilarious, honestly. He's, he's such a funny guy. Um, it, yeah, he's very very good at writing um also yeah shout out to um gibbous the cthulhu adventure that's mm-hmm. looking really really good from um stuck in attic um so yeah it's like a, a cthulhu based at point and click adventure game that's kind of comedy and cosmic horror um, that looks great
0: yeah uh, i believe they mentioned it's a comedy cosmic horror
1: <laughs> yeah um i've yeah, I got to play the demo of Adventure X and it's just, there's so much animation in it. It's amazing. It's all like mm-hmm. Disney quality animation, frame by frame stuff. And it's like, it's a huge game. So yeah, anyone listening should check that out.
0: Yeah, um, we'll, we'll be finding out more about this game in a later podcast once the game is released.
1: Yeah, I I guess, um, yeah, yeah like I said, Cloak and Dagger games as well. I really enjoy their games. I really enjoyed football game. It was cool. Kind of creepy. Uh, there's probably loads of people I'm forgetting, but, um. Yeah, yeah. There's,
0: there's so many.
1: <laughs> and thanks to you, listeners, for listening to me ramble on for the whole thing.
0: Yes, and I wanted to, to, to thank all the listeners as well for making this podcast possible. For you know, giving me feedback and helping me continue as well, and you know, helping me because without the listeners, this wouldn't be possible. So, and to the developers, to you guys as well, because I know after speaking, especially to. A few, a few guys, a few developers as well. I've become, I've come to realize just how much work you guys do, and I, I don't think we always show you the appreciation that you guys deserve. If, even sometimes, you know, we might be more critical than you know you guys deserve. So I want to give a real shout out to all adventure game developers. Thank you for all the sacrifices you make and for all the, the Woo! work that you do. So <laughs> no, generally, because I know that. Most people who are adventure game developers don't do it to be rich, you know. Don't do it to make money because you probably make any other type of a, uh, game. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to to be rich, but um, but not genuinely. So okay, well that's uh, so the, the game again is Guard Duty, which will be released on May the second, yeah, twenty nineteen on Steam mainly. So I'm really looking looking forward to it, and I can't wait to try out more and to. To find out how, how the story progresses, because I'm really curious. And well, to yeah, enjoy it. it. So, thank you, Nathan.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Sorsha.
0: So, that was my interview with Nathan Hamley. I hope you enjoyed it. And as he mentioned, his game, Gar Duty, is out on May the 2nd, 2019. Now, I also forgot to mention that The Mystery of Woolly Mountain. As well as being being released on PC. It's also available on Nintendo Switch. And I believe there's also a discount there as well. So you can play Nintendo Switch as well as PC. And so that is it for this week. So next week I'll be hopefully joined by Thomas Bex again. And I'll be discussing two games I've played recently. The Long Dark and Firewatch. And Thomas will hopefully be discussing a game as well. I'm not sure which game yet. And we'll also be discussing a hot topic in the last few weeks. And that is, should there be different difficulty settings in a game? Such as easy and hard settings? and Or does this compromise the vision of the developers? So we'll be discussing our thoughts and opinions on that. So until then, uh, take care. And I hope everybody has a great week. Oh, Bye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps and reviews will help. Get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod follow me on facebook at adventure games podcast you can also follow me on instagram at adventure games podcast as well and we're also on discord at adventure games podcast so if you are a venture game developer or adventure game player you can follow us there so again please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who